0: Is the United States of America compromised to China? And my answer right away: Yes. It's indisputably the case yeah. that uh, they have engaged in what they
1: call elite capture, uh, involving elites in really basically every sector of our society and nation.
0: In both political
1: parties.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: This is a nonpartisan. Yeah. Critique. Everybody has had their hand out.
2: You are now tuned in to Stay Dangerous.
0: All right, well, welcome to the show. And uh, in, in the studio, we have uh, from D.C., from our nation's capital, uh, my friend Frank Gaffney, uh, who, uh, if you guys don't know who Frank is, I usually don't read bios in the beginning, but I feel like I have to read some of yours uh, to let people know that don't know who you are, who you are. So, uh, under, uh, under President Ronald Reagan, Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Policy, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but uh, also the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Defense for Nuclear Forces and Arm arms control policy, chairman of uh, a NATO senior political military committee, and a staff member for a Senate armed uh, services committee. And also in 1998, he founded the center for security policy, which uh, I love that organization and still doing amazing impact. And my friend, Tommy Waller is uh, now the president of it.
1: He is indeed Uh, 1988, 1988. make a small correction so we don't lose that first decade.
2: Yes. (laughs) No, but
1: uh, it's been just extraordinarily. Uh, a blessing to have Tommy fleet up from yeah. the job that he'd been doing for me for nine years or so, mostly working, as you know, on the electric grid and trying to make it secure, resilient, um, to now trying to make the whole country secure and resilient. And uh, uh, it's a privilege to
0: hold his coat. Yeah, if uh, if those listening who read, read my book, Saving Aziz, I mentioned Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Waller as the commander of Third Force Recon Company they had the courage to allow uh staff Sergeant Dennis price to take a leave of absence to come with me to Tajikistan and go to Afghanistan to rescue uh, people from Afghanistan. So it, in his position, it was extremely courageous for him to uh, and just shows his leadership. He's an amazing man, an amazing American and yes. super happy you guys have him on board there. Me too. Uh, before we get going, I want to m- mention you have a new book out, which I haven't read yet. I apologize. Uh,
2: but you I just, want to read it now. You just got it. I just got a copy, yeah. So I
0: would <laughs> like to have read it before this show, but I just got it. You just gave it to me. It's called The Indictment, uh, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World, written by Frank Gaffney. I shown a picture for those on YouTube watching it, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. Uh, what is I Since I hadn't read it, what is it about? Tell us about it.
1: You know, it's about the existential threat to freedom of our time and what is, I think, indisputably the greatest existential threat to freedom of any time, and that would be the Chinese Communist Party. And it's a story about how it became such a monster. Uh, You know, friends of mine who are into Star Trek call it the Borg, Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty apt description of this thing because it is the collective, the hive, that is now not only reaping the benefits of having waged what they call unrestricted warfare against us for probably three decades, most of which we were paying no attention to Oblivious oblivious to. Let alone the damage that was being done. But they're now, as you know, Chad, um, I think poised to take it to the next level, which is a shooting war against not just Taiwan, maybe some of our friends and allies in the region, but against us as well and what we're trying to do is both help the american people get very quickly up to speed on what on earth is happening here who these guys are what that warfare has entailed and as important as anything who in our country has helped them do it right that's i mean where that, the that, friends that, come in
0: that's the question right is is the united states of america compromised China and my answer right away would be yes it's indisputably the case that
1: uh, they have engaged in what they call elite capture
0: uh,
1: involving elites in really basically every sector of our society and nation
0: in both political parties absolutely yeah
1: this is a nonpartisan yeah critique everybody has had their hand out Mostly. I mean, some are in for the ideology, some are in for the sex, but mostly I think it's in for the money. And whether it's the masters of the universe, as they call them on Wall Street, Mm -hmm. who have transferred by some estimates, Chad, three to six trillion dollars from our pension funds, personal, private, public, to China and other investment vehicles, of course, including, by the way, now the Thrift Savings Plan, the federal pension fund for our military personnel, veterans serving, and their civilian counterparts. And that money has gone into the coffers of the Chinese Communist Party and is used by them to both wage that unrestricted warfare against us, build up their military, and establish essentially a colonial empire around the world through what they call the Belt and Road Initiative. But you put all this together, we've got nine different charges in this indictment, starting with crimes against humanity, the worst of which have been done against their own people. Right. Amazingly enough, some hundred million of them have been killed, and that doesn't count the 400 million that they boast of killing Mm. in the womb, mostly baby girls. But you put all that together with eight different charges. We call them war crimes because, properly understood, this is not really a political party or even a government. This is a transnational criminal organization on an epic scale. So when they say they're waging unrestricted war against us and they're a criminal enterprise, what does that mean? eight different war crimes. And we think they've got to be prosecuted at the minimum in the court of public opinion as a means of starting to affect the kind of course correction we need to take. And we've got 20 different action items as to what needs to be done to do that.
0: Beyond the court of public opinion, what's uh, when you talk about being prosecuted, uh, like international commune?
1: Well, look, I, I think that if they are a criminal organization, every instrument of our government ought to be brought to bear in prosecuting them in actual courts. And certainly, right. they're American enablers.
0: Absolutely, um, yeah.
1: But you know, the truth of the matter is, when you look at the action items that need to be a- adopted, mm-hmm. it's things like, you know, first of all, understanding th- the nature of the problem, because as you know, you can't possibly solve it if you don't know what it is. But also, put the country on a war footing. Much right, as yeah. the Chinese have done with theirs, because no. otherwise we are unprepared for what's headed. We, our
0: we, we're we're focused on uh, uh, critical race theory yeah. and uh, and transgenderism yeah. and, and and all these and and spending millions of dollars to shift our training to make sure they're accommodating everybody's uh, feelings and mm-hmm. you know male and, uh, and, and in limitations. limitations right and uh, COVID restriction. I mean, when COVID was people weren't training. Our military wasn't training, and people were. I'd never seen Frank in thirty years in the military. Right now, and I, I get to be very involved in the military still, and I'm very privileged for that. But in 30 years, I've never seen a more uh, a more destroyed morale, mm-hmm. and I say destroyed because it's not just like it, it was because I believe it was deliberate destroyed morale in, in, our, in our troops. And I've seen right now, and you know, no wonder suicide rates are up. And, and one of the things that uh, you know, COVID was one of the things that really the military took a hard blow for, uh, but Afghanistan was, and uh, and uh, and so when you think about Afghanistan and the withdrawal everyone was everyone before i was going to the news a lot and and talking about the pending withdrawal of afghanistan and everyone was asking this question why would we leave afghanistan right you have you have 2500 troops there the maximum around you know in 2020 was uh 4, 000, uh 4, troops but usually around 2500 troops doing a support and advisory role to the afghan national army the entire international community is participating and it's working we're keeping the taliban at bay get the whole world working together to support and advise the afghan national army America's sons and daughters are not dying. We have 2,500 troops in 10, 15 places in the world right now that aren't talked about. Djibouti, Africa, for one. Like, no one knows this. We have, we have 80,000 troops in Japan still since World War II and 40,000 in Germany and 35,000 in South Korea, keeping the, the North Koreans from crossing the 38th parallel. We have all these things happening. So wh- and, and then on top of that, right, you got the president pushing to pull out these 2,500 troops. On, on top of that, you have... By uh, 9-11, by the way. By 9-11, on the the, the anniversary date, which was a a huge slap in the face. uh, You have the president's own generals suggesting he doesn't. The intelligence leader suggesting he doesn't. You have 12 diplomats on the ground that send a dissent cable uh, to the White House and to Secretary Blanking saying, do not do this, Kabul's going to fall. And they do it anyway. So everybody's asking, why would the president of the United States do this anyway when everyone's advising against it? And the answer to me, the only answer to me is China. Uh, And Because you have to look at, when you look at something... It, it would it would be my conspiracy or my opinion to say President Biden made a decision for nefarious reasons. But when I look at something like that, I look at who has to gain. Mm. And the only person that had anything to gain by the United States military moving, moving, not only us, but, but uh, making a move, doing it in a way that forced the international community out, the only person that had anything to gain was China. Mm. Uh, they wanted those lithium, uh, the mineral rights to lithium in the, in the trillions of dollars. Uh, actually, they say now, I say trillions of dollars. I say it's an unknown amount of dollars. That's, it's so much that it's unknown. Uh, so you, they, get, they want the lithium rights to the, the Hindu Kush uh, minerals. They want to be able to move uh, sanctioned oil from Iran to China, which they couldn't do with the U.S. military there. And they want a Bagram Air Force Base, the most strategic place in the globe between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China. And so President Biden does this against everybody's will. And uh, you see what happens in Afghanistan. We can spend the whole next hour talking about that. And so You broke the code, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, folks, I got a shout out for our new awesome sponsor, Midas Gold Group. These guys are the real deal, a family business in precious metals for two generations run by Marine Corps veterans who are all about supporting veteran causes and putting America first. But the best part, they know that true financial freedom comes from owning private currency like gold and silver. If you're feeling a bit worried about the unknown and want to secure finances, look no further than Midas Gold Group. With all the crazy stuff happening these days, it's smart to be prepared. If you don't know, our financial data is stored electronically, from bank deposits to retirement accounts, and let's face it, our digital grid isn't exactly invincible. That's where owning gold and silver can save the day, and it's becoming a seriously compelling option. Now here's the scoop. Inflation is nibbling away at your dollar's buying power, and major players like Russia, China, India, and Saudi Arabia are making moves to trade oil in different currencies. This could shake things up big time as the dollar's stability depends on being the world's trade currency. The central bank digital currency is virtually already here with patents filed and big banks making plans. And Midas Gold Group sees potentially sketchy implications here. Will it mean the end of cold, hard-earned cash? Is it tied to social credit scores? Storing all our financial info on in digital ledgers sounds pretty risky, doesn't it? That's why you can count on Midas Gold Group They're here to lend a helping hand. They've got competitive pricing, top-notch service, and lightning-fast deliveries all across the United States and Canada. And get this, they could even show you how to use your IRA and old retirement plan to own physical gold and silver without getting hit by any additional tax implications. So listen up, folks. When it comes to precious metals, Midas Gold Group is the real deal and the only one I trust. Give them a ring at 855-322-GOLD. That's 855 322 4653, or hit up their website at MIDASGoldGroup.com. That's MIDASGoldGroup.com. They're all about giving friendly, no pressure advice on precious metals. And guess what? If you drop my name, Chad Robicho, they're throwing in some free silver with any qualifying account. You can't beat that, right? So don't wait around, secure your financial future with Midas Gold Group, swing by midasgoldgroup.com or dial 855-322-4653 and make sure you mention Chad Show sent you. Trust me, you'll be glad you did.
1: Uh, but unfortunately, Chad, if you look at the broader array of policies that Joe Biden has adopted and implemented, and I don't care whether it's the domestic side of the equation or the foreign policy side, right? They all seem to me to have two things in common. This is a pretty sweeping generalization, but I honestly think it's true. One, every one of those policies has been bad for the United States. Yeah. Two, every one of them has benefited the Chinese communist party, either very directly or in some cases, maybe slightly indirectly, but it's where you keep coming back to. And, you know, you talked about conspiracy theories. I've been accused of being a conspiracy
0: theorist. Maybe you have. Oh, yeah. I love but, your Wikipedia but, page, by the way. It's <laughs> like, what a hit job. It's a piece of work. It's pretty bad, yeah.
1: <laughs> but look, the the truth of the matter is, yeah. you know, Occam's razor. Yeah. What hypothesis best fits the facts? And I think that's the one.
0: Yeah, you just have to look at He's got to step back t- and look at it. Who you know, benefits? In,
1: in fact, do you, do you know Sam Faddis? Have you interacted with him I, I at all? I don't think I do. Sam is a really great guy, and you need him on your podcast. I'm, okay. I'm his agent. I'm promoting him all the time. All but, right. but partly because of something that he said on my show, I think, first, memorably. He said, having been a career undercover operative for the Central Intelligence Agency for 20 years, including in some of them, Garden spots of the universe you've been in. Yeah. He said in the terminology of the trade, the commander in chief of the United States military would be called a quote controlled asset Mm. of the Chinese communist party, unquote. Yeah. And he points out, as you know, you don't have a non-controlled asset. If you're not controlled, you're not an asset. You're a liability. Right? So you're gone. Joe Biden is a controlled asset. And I think what you and I've just been discussing uh, is the evidence that every decision he makes now means that we are mortally imperiled. Yeah. If this thing does, in fact, go where I think she intends to take it, namely to a shooting war. And the guy who's commanding our forces is working for them. What could possibly yeah, go wrong? it goes wrong? back
0: to the question, right, is, uh, is, there, is there our government compromise, is our White House compromise, is our president compromise, and every policy but, but decision is made. But can I say, made, compromise
1: yeah. is, a, is such a gentle term. It
0: is. It, it makes it sound <laughs>
1: as though they're yeah. kind of innocent. Right. Captured. Yeah. I think may, may do a better job of it. That's what the Chinese call it. Sold out is kind of my preference because that's what
0: they've done. It's treasonous. It is treasonous. It's treasonous. And, uh, like you, you said earlier, you just look at the policy, and every policy decision he's made uh, is not in the best interest of America, but is in the best interest of the Chinese Communist Party.
1: It sure, seems that way.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's a paper trail of money that goes back. That uh, oh, but let <laughs> me give you this little
1: factoid. Yeah. I mentioned well, the amount of money China. that the Wall Street guys, <laughs> principally, have migrated to communist China, three to six trillion dollars, pick a number. They were able to do that. And by the way, that's our money, Chad. That's right. that's not Larry Fink's money <laughs> right. BlackRock or the Fund, Fidelity Vanguard. It's our money. Our pension funds, our mutual funds, our 401k plans, what have you, that have now gone there and probably won't be coming back, especially if, the real balloon goes, goes up. up. Not right. the silly one. The real balloon. <laughs> but here's the thing Joe Biden made that possible because in May of 2013, as the then vice president of the United States, he engineered a deal between the United States and the communist Chinese that allowed them to have access to our capital markets for their companies. Mm-hmm. Without having to conform to our laws and regulations, like every American company and everybody else's companies have to do. Why? Because those laws and regulations were promulgated to try to protect American investors from things like fraud, which the Chinese engage in all the time.
0: Right. And so, and so they could operate they get, here without They, get out, they get get a, a, pass. got out of jail, free card. What, what's the, uh, I know they've acquired a lot of real estate in the United States, not I mean, not Chinese citizens, but Chinese the Chinese government. Well, um,
1: Chinese companies, Chinese front organizations, Chinese individuals. Yeah, it's a, it's a serious problem. But can I tell you what, an even bigger problem?
0: It's near military bases?
1: They're near military bases yeah. in many cases, or yeah. other strategic assets yeah. with line of sight or... You know other abilities to collect against them, but you know another set of problems, which has not gotten as much attention as that has, because it's it's now the case. Some of our colleagues, at the Center for Security Policy, Chris Holton in particular, has been working with state legislators trying to shut that down. Right, and uh, making some headway there. I'm pleased to say. But here's the thing: that book, the indictment, is the product of something like 70 different webinars that our Committee on the Present Danger China has produced. One of the most important of which actually published, uh, took place after this book was published, um, involves a guy by the name of Neil Shen, who is the driving force behind the most successful venture capital firm in the world, Sequoia Capital. He works for the Chinese Communist Party, advising their Politburo. Some say he's a Communist Party member. He's a Chinese national, that's for sure. Right. And what he is able to do, Chad, think about this. You understand this space better than I. If you're in venture capital, especially if you're at the very top of that food chain, and you're able to have everybody in America who's got an interesting technology they want to develop, They're beating a path to your door to try to get your venture capital so that they can make it grow, right? Bring it to fruition. The thing about this is, if he's working for the Chinese Communist Party, that is a collection opportunity that doesn't quit. Yeah, I think it's no exaggeration. We've had two different studies just in the past couple of weeks. One out of Australia, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, the other out of the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, both of which independently came to basically the same conclusion, which is that the Chinese communists are eating our lunch on advanced technology. I mean, crushingly eating our lunch, not just on the commercial side, but on the inherently military side as well. And that, I think, even more than the egregious thing that we're allowing them to buy any property here, little right. property adjacent to sensitive places, this is the formula for eliminating something that is, you know, better than just about anybody. We have relied upon as a critical element of our national security, namely mm. the qualitative edge. In fact, that guy that I was telling you about, Sam Fattis, right. he may have been up there with your guys, as far as I know, but he was, he was at the very pointy end of the spear in Iraq in 2003 when we were about to jump off. right, And he said he was literally on the high ground with his team watching down below the Iraqi formations in positions he said would have been probably uh, below par for 1914 defenses. But he said between that high ground position and the technological commanding heights, which we absolutely enjoyed, as you know, they were able literally to wipe off the face of the earth with impunity regiments of Iraqis. They couldn't even see it coming, let alone understand where it was coming from or do anything about it. That's the kind of qualitative edge he says we will no longer enjoy in the future thanks to the betrayal of China's friends like Neil Shen and Larry Fink and others who are enablers of this unrestricted warfare against our country.
0: It's uh, outrageous. Outside of the military, uh, I'm tracking, I'm right there with you in the military, but outside of the military, there's even, I mean, the implications go on, go further and further and further, but one of the things that always concerns me is the supply chain. Is there any regulatory body that looks at, looks at the supply chain, like for example, 80% of America's medicine comes from China, or at least ingredients to produce medicine. I mean, without even firing a bullet, they could uh, snip that supply chain off. And what, what do we do? Like what do we have, you know, people dying because they're not having their medicine. Uh, is there any, any regulatory body in our government that looks at that and says this is a national, this is a national security issue, not an economic issue? I, I don't believe there is
1: that anybody, at least that has some sort of actual responsibility for saying we're not gonna do that. right? And, and you know, worse in a way, is the Pentagon now has supply chains for weapon systems, components, that are manufactured China. by our Chinese communist enemies. Again, I, I don't mean to be facetious about this, but what could possibly go wrong? You know and I know yeah. those supply chains will go down. But they're, they're actually constricting many of them already. Yeah. And when they oh. do, it will be a tremendous advantage Especially if you get
0: technology, because I mean, my iPhone, as soon as I do an update on my iPhone, boom, I got to go buy a new iPhone, right? So now you're talking about having equipment, uh, military-grade equipment made in China that you give the upgrade (laughs) now that the equipment doesn't work anymore. Hey guys, Chad Robichaud here. Are you ready to experience the greatest beef you'll ever taste while supporting an incredible cause? Well, get ready to sink your teeth into the irresistible beef from Skyro's Cattle Company. At Sky Rose Ranch, where Mighty Oaks Foundation holds our West Coast legacy programs, Wayne Hughes Jr., the founder of Sky Rose Cattle Company, has dedicated over a decade to perfecting the art of raising premium beef. And guess what? You can now enjoy the fruits of his labor right in the comfort of your own home with the absolute highest quality beef you can find, hands down. And trust me, I'm a carnivore and I've tasted plenty of steaks and nothing comes close to a Sky Rose Steak. These cattle are grass-fed and free of antibiotics, hormones, and vaccines. And for the last 10 years, I've personally watched these cattle graze 25,000 acres in Central Coast, California, and the taste is unbeatable. When you choose to purchase Skyrose beef, you're also making a difference by supporting the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Wayne is all about helping our deserving military and first responder communities through our faith-based resiliency and recovery programs. And every single penny, of your purchase goes directly towards assisting our nation's warriors. Let me reiterate this, because it's crazy. 100% of the proceeds of Sky Rose Cattle goes directly to Mighty Oaks Foundation to support our nation's warriors. So let's join forces and make a positive impact, one delicious bite at a time, and head over to SkyRoseCattleCO.com. That's co.com today, and order yourself some tender, juicy cuts of beef Trust me, your taste buds will thank you. And one more little insider secret, every warrior who goes through Mighty Oaks Legacy Program at Sky Rose will assure you that this beef is extraordinary and off the charts delicious. The very first thing our warriors get when they get to Mighty Oaks Programs on Sky Rose Ranch is a delicious Sky Rose steak hanging off the side of their plates with a Sky Rose brand on it. And our warriors love them and you will too.
2: You know, if China can leverage free market economic capitalism to strengthen communism, then they can use the United, the United States to, to defeat themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically, you know, it's not just like Chad mentioned the medicine, but it's like you guys are talking about it, it's everything at this point. Yeah. Look, again,
1: backing the lens up, the idea behind elite capture is to have Americans working against our country to their advantage. And whether it's in the financial space or whether it's technology or whether it's uh, using our media to propagandize Mm. on their behalf against us, uh, whether it's teaching our kids through the Confucius Institutes, for example, to hate our country and to admire China and want to have socialism here and all the rest. Uh, or, Or not least, whether it's our politicians. We talked a little bit about Joe Biden. He's hardly alone.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's, uh, in fact, one of our colleagues is a fellow by the name of Trevor Loudon. I don't know if you know him, but you need him to come and talk to you too. Trevor's got two important new sets of books. Okay. A two-volume set entitled Security Risk Senators, in which he does dossiers on 33, I think it is, United States senators who have been, to use your term, compromised or captured or suborned or whatever, (laughs) sold out. He's got a six volume set entitled House Un-Americans, which as I recall, has 125 members. I would would guess he needed needed,
0: needed a couple of books to do those. (laughs) Yeah. My my observation of the the house is that, yeah. Yeah. But to your point,
1: this is not an accident. It, it didn't happen overnight. It isn't just a function of mm. bribes. Uh, there's other in, inducements, but, but the main thing is, you know, I am I'm, I'm touting this book, The Indictment. It's principally to try to wake people up and give them a way of thinking about this problem that lends to action. But invariably I'm asked the question, how, how come we don't know anything about this? Yeah. And I think the answer is when the people that you have entrusted—because all of us are busy—we got lives, we got businesses, sure. we got families, whatever—we've we've elected people or we've done business with people to, you know, be keeping eyes out for us. And if something's going south, you
0: expect them to tell you about it, or, or to have a, a and media, they're not, or to have a media, well, a, a, I'm a a talking journalists out to, to this, report on them. This <laughs> larger
1: Elite, yeah, right. whichever part of it they're in, they're supposed to be on our side and eyes on. Mm-hmm. And they're not rocking the boat because they're making money with this arrangement. And, and, and you know, the, in power. the interesting thing you've had enough experience with these guys that I'm sure you will be able to attest to this. The interesting thing is, invariably, these folks think that if our country is taken out, and the people they're helping to take it out, prosper Mm. and succeed in their ambition, which Xi Jinping, the Chinese communist emperor, I call him, makes no bones about, is to be the global hegemon. Mm -hmm. We're gone, they're it. The first people typically who are taken up against a wall and shot are the traitors. Mm. To the country they're taking Hist- down. Historically, that's <laughs>
0: been the way. That's what
1: they do. Because yeah. yeah. they can trust them. Right there, yeah. And
0: we shouldn't either. We should not.
2: Uh, no, I was going to say, everybody should read Indictment. But I'm curious, and I know the viewers would be curious, what, what's what's the course correction? Uh, we should read the book, obviously. But in, for, the, for the viewers on the podcast, and Chad, please yeah. chime in, what's the course correction uh, on the, the, these topics we've been talking about so far?
1: Well, there are 20 different items that we recommend. And, and most of them are things that come out of what we've just been talking about. But it starts, as I said, with understanding you've got a problem. Yeah, you have to educate. What is the nature
0: of the problem? We have to educate
2: and ourselves. That's,
1: that's where we start, and we hope people will begin. We have to root out these captured elites. We, we especially in a shooting war setting, we simply cannot be relying upon people, as I said, who are batting for the other team Mm -hmm. to be leading us. Um, We need to rebuild our military. You know, this is is one of those moments where when the history is written, it probably won't be written by us. If it goes really badly, it's written by the victors. But when it's written, there will be a level of incredulity that the greatest military in the history of the world was hollowed out and taken down by an enemy that we weren't even fighting mm. yeah you know and so those are steps you know fixing our energy insecurity which the chinese and their friends have been taking apart yeah uh, preparing for the next biological warfare attack mm. And, you know, putting the country on a war footing, I think that's just so fundamental to this. Uh, the, the, the evidence that the Chinese have been doing that for theirs, whether it's the supply chain situation, whether it's literally going to the people of China and saying you need to prepare for sacrifice and hardship in the support of the motherland. Uh, Xi Jinping is out there exhorting his troops to engage in more aggressive combat combat operations and preparations. I mean, they're telegraphing this punch. Oh yeah. It's, it's, all they're they're the time. not hiding it at all. We need to take those warnings to heart and begin taking steps to try to minimize the kind of damage that they can do us. Yeah. And not least, you know, Any. We're hearing that there are, I've heard different numbers. Let's say for the purpose of the discussion, 10, 1,000 military-aged, unaccompanied, mm. Chinese young men
0: across who have come across
1: that southern border in mm. the past few months, moving, our friend Michael Yan says, as an old special operator and war correspondent, in units, yeah. with what curiously looks like more or less identical kit, yeah. backpacks, canteens, and the like. Um, he's done a little trick with them to see if they speak English, and establishes that they don't want you to know that they do. Mm. And the taxpayer has helpfully paid to disperse them all over the country. So if, again, and I pray to God I'm wrong about all of this, I really do, but if I'm right, and it's not just me, it's you know the best of our team in these webinars, if we're right that what is coming is a shooting war, not just against Taiwan or even just against our allies and bases in the Western Pacific, but against us, you can bet that all hell is going to break loose when those probably special operators, but the people's yeah. liberation army start wreaking havoc behind our lines right here on the home front.
0: You know, uh, I want to talk about the military and that. But one thing I want to say to the people listening: we have to stop protecting a political party because of because of you know if we had D or an R. Like everyone knows, I think everyone inherently knows. Like maybe a few small percentage, but probably ninety percent of Americans know that something's not right in our White House. But yet they hate Donald Trump so bad that they'll be quiet and not speak up, and we we cannot what you're talking about is the consequences of that that silence and that silence is complicity mm-hmm. to potentially, you know, the end of of our great nation. And uh it, people have to educate themselves, they have to speak up and they have to put their political party aside for a second and come together and say, We we need to stand up for this country because i want you're scarily absolutely right. And and I think like one of the things I ask myself uh over this last few months is, you know, how did we get here? Uh, how do you get to where the country feels so unstable. We don't have the ability to uh, defend ourselves. Uh, we, we have an unstable world, and, and my answer is always, and I've said this before, the, when, the, when America is strong, the world is a stable place. When America is weak, the world falls apart, and you see stuff like this. Why did uh, uh, Vladimir Putin put uh, 100,000 troops on the, on the Ukrainian border? Because he saw what happened in Afghanistan. He knew it was his opportunity, it's his window. President Trump's out of office. I'm gonna flex on the border. President Biden removes our consulate, uh, pulls a few troops we had out, gives the green, NATO follows, gives the green light, uh, and Russia's in Ukraine now. Uh, and, and then, by the way, which I think is a proxy world war, because you have 26 countries there right now, uh, all fighting each other. Um, Iran's represented there. North Korea's represented there. China's represented there. Uh, the United States, of course, is we, we could say we're, we're not in war there, but we are against Russia. Uh, and then, uh, in addition, in addition to that, you, you see, uh, China now going to take Taiwan. So when they get there, they got there because they felt like America was in a weak point that now's the time to act. And everybody talked about president Trump when he was running and saying it was gonna be a world war three. He's a warmonger. He's the first president in almost 30 years that didn't start another war. Uh, and you know, Joe Biden gets in the white house and the whole world's burning down and it's um it's just a, it not having that strength.
1: You know, Don Rumsfeld was a friend of mine and he he had to f- turn a phrase mm-hmm. on this point. He says weakness is provocative. Yeah. People it's like, you know, nature politics abhors a vacuum as well, and it's being filled the one we've created by the hollowing out of the United States by the adoption of policies that are contrary to our national interests and our security and our leadership, we have invited mayhem. And Xi Jinping, Chinese dictator, Vladimir Putin, Russian dictator, partners, limited partners, no limit partnership, they call it, uh, announced, you know, when uh, Xi was in Moscow a couple of months ago that, you know, uh, the world is going to change. And they're going to do the changing. But uh, let me just give you a, a bit of hope. Okay. Because uh, th- th- <laughs> we haven't had a whole <laughs> lot of it here. <laughs> mm-hmm. fill, my, fill my cup when of I was a, When I was a young man, <laughs> yeah. I was imprinted with something that happened in the mid-1970s. Uh, uh, Ronald Reagan sought the presidency against Gerald Ford in part because he rejected what Ford was doing, which was a function of what Kissinger and Nixon had done before them, which was détente, which is a fancy French term for appeasing. What was the existential threat of their time, the Soviet Union? And he lost in that bid, narrowly, but he lost. And he went to a group called the Committee on the Present Danger, of national security professionals, subject matter experts in the Soviet Union and business leaders and other public policy specialists. And he said, I want a strategy. Not detente. Not even containment. I want to roll back what he called the evil empire.
0: Which is the Soviet Union.
1: The Soviet Union. And they put one together and he took it to the American people in the 1980 campaign when he ran, not against Gerald Ford, but against Jimmy Carter. And a central plank of his platform was gonna be, as he put it, we win, they lose. He wanted to put them on the ash heap of history. And he said to the American people, I want a mandate to do that. And he got it. And a course correction of epic proportions was effected because when he got in office, he brought 30 members of that committee on the present danger, and they went to work implementing that strategy. And the rest,
0: as they say, is history. Yeah, no more Soviet Union, yeah. as With, much as Putin wants it. Without
1: firing a shot. Actually, it was our own kind of unrestricted warfare against them. The point is that when we get squared away on a problem that is putting literally the future of our country and our kids and our kids kids on the line the american people did in that case and i think still can i think still can come too. together and demand of the people who are going to govern them a different approach to this existential threat to freedom
0: I, and I agree. that's what we need now I, I believe the hope is and i get to travel all around the country like you do i, I still have hope in the american people You're i I'm, I'm, I fear the election system. To, to be, be candid, I fear the election system. But I have hope in the American people will do the right thing if things got bad enough, and I think they are bad enough now. Uh, how can uh, how can you to those listening maybe educate or, or influence the the listeners when you're looking at a at at a president uh, presidential candidate and you're saying looking for a pro war or anti war or, or you know national a strong national security president? What are some policies? Take away the D, take away the R, you know, who cares if they're conservative or liberal? What are the policies that they should be looking at to say, is this a president that I could trust with our national security as a candidate?
1: Well, I think that's the question of the moment. Yeah. For the next six, eight months, everybody who aspires to be president of the United States is going to be keenly interested in what the American people think. Yes maybe not so much after the election, but for the next (laughs) few months, as they're jockeying for position and they want your vote, they will be interested in what you have to say. So you need to be talking to them, everybody, Uh, especially if you're in those early primary or caucus states where they're sitting in your living room or they're sitting in your dining room, you need to be engaging them and you need to be demanding to know what do they think about China. And again, I, I, I wanna be clear, I'm really encouraging people to focus not on China, or the Chinese people, but on the Chinese Communist Party, which has given the Chinese people enough reason to hate that party as much as we should, that they are our natural allies. And we need to take another page out of Reagan's playbook, Chad, we need to do one of the things that was central to his strategy of taking down the Soviet Union, which was to delegitimize the Soviet Communist Party. The same thing needs to be done to the Chinese Communist Party. That's why I say it is a transnational criminal organization. And it's done incalculable crimes against its own people. So let's see what we can do to work with them. But but the main thing is, as you talk with those candidates, you need to ask them some follow-up questions. If they say, oh, no, no, Communist China is a big threat. Got a big, big, big problem. You need to ask them, what are you going to do about it? And that checklist of 20 items in our book, The Indictment, is, you know, a checklist of things that I would encourage you to be asking them about. Just as an example, do you think that our capital markets should no longer be open to the Chinese Communist Party's plundering? Hmm. Just let's start there. If we simply stop, and, and it's most especially the case, for crying out loud, that our military personnel should not have their money going into Chinese companies, at least some of whom are building weapon systems for the People's Liberation Army, designed to kill Americans. those investors. <laughs> yeah, those. With What's their, with wrong with that yeah. picture, yeah. right? So it shouldn't it shouldn't be any of our money, but certainly not those military no, no. men and women. And that's just a straightforward question. If you don't want to enable the Chinese Communist Party to destroy our country. Stop enabling them to do it by underwriting all of the steps they're taking in that direction.
0: So we're, we're, the three of us are pretty rational people. Uh, Wikipedia would disagree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at least in my case. <laughs> but, I mean, we're talking about something that, we're talking in a way that, that makes sense. Like, we don't want to see America at war. We don't want to see America uh, engage... I'd say we don't want to see America in war. We don't want to see America engage in, in, in a, you know, uh, threats to our national security. Uh, but there are those in power that do because they make a lot of money. Uh, and this is the industrial military complex and warmongers and neocons of Washington, D.C. And so, you know, how does that play in all this that they're actually, we're, we're not... Uh, voting for people that just see a strat they're not just it's not a different strategy they're actually nefariously telling you they want to keep us out of wars but putting us in wars because it's profitable for them and their lobbyist friends in washington dc and all their you know all the neocons of washington dc I, I
1: may disappoint you in this okay. I, you know i spent <laughs> my entire professional life fighting leftists who are endlessly ranting against the military-industrial complex there is an industrial base it's it's one of the few that we have left and it's not nearly what we need it to be that happens to manufacture weapon systems for us and it's mostly been put out of business you know when Les Aspen came in as the Secretary of Defense for Bill Clinton one of the first things he did was to convene a meeting of the leaders of the defense industry and he said, there isn't going to be enough work for all of you guys. You're going to have to go out of business or, you know, partner up. Uh, we're we're sh- essentially going to shut a lot of you down. And we've been doing that ever since. So, you know, are there people who make a living selling weapons? Absolutely. Are there people who want us to be in wars so they can sell weapons? I, I suspect there are. But I, I don't think that's the problem that we've got. I think the problem that we've got frankly, in this case in particular, is we've got an enemy that is at war with us. We didn't ask for it. We didn't, you know, I think, induce them to do it. They have to get rid of us because we're the only real impediment to the realization of their ambitions which is mm-hmm. global domination and our stockpiles so, are
0: down right and so, so to what it, you're saying uh, yeah.
1: you know yeah. we have an industrial base that isn't able to generate the 155 rounds, <laughs> What's their rounds? we're running
0: we're running out of stuff to send ukraine
1: that uh, <laughs> we don't have it for us right let alone for ukraine yeah. and we won't for years so that's a fundamental problem and personally i don't think with all due respect that, you know, vilifying the people who produce those rounds is warranted or good for their morale and uh, willingness to, to work on these things. So Mm. just to wrap it up, I I think that what we've got to come to grips with is if the Chinese communist party Mm -hmm. goes to war, Mm -hmm. the old fashioned kind of war, it will not be against Republicans. Or Democrats. (laughs) It will be against all of us. And yet, one of the most chilling insights that we have in the book, the fourth of the eight charges, is about the biological warfare that was waged against us with COVID. And it refers to a speech that was given back in, well, about 20 years ago, by the guy who was at the time the defense minister of China, a general by the name of Qi Haotian. And he said in a closed meeting, secret meeting with party apparatus. a couple of things that were interesting. One is that there's gonna be a lot of talk about Taiwan, but the main enemy is the United States. Right. And he also said that the guy who was the general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party back when the Soviet Union fell, and who directed that a new Cold War was gonna begin against the United States and China was gonna win, he actually also gave an order, to the illegal biological warfare program of the Chinese communist party to prepare for the depopulation of the united states
0: so it could be colonized by china like economically prepare or
1: prepare the weapons oh, prepare with the which weapon. to destroy the population of the united states how
0: many how many people did we did died in america from covid we a don't millions, really know million 100,000 yeah, something I mean, a, so lot, far. a lot
1: a lot more than a bomb <sighs> A lot more. Yeah. And the point is, it was a proof of concept as to what they could do with really nasty stuff, which they've also been genetically modifying and cooking up. And we paid for a lot of that. We've helped them design those weapons. We've helped them use the technology and we've paid
0: for some of it. Would you, be, would you say Fauci, Fauci's in that sellout? Right? Fauci is among
1: <laughs> the captured elite who is yeah. has right done there, incalculable elite, yeah. harm to us. But here's the point. It won't be on the basis of your R no. or D. You're right that Your you know, a particular population is going to be taken out, we all have an interest in ensuring that the Chinese do not believe they can do this with impunity. And that requires us to pull together, including rebuilding our military, and having a credible leadership that's necessary, as well as a credible fighting force that will deter and failing deterrence. Defeat the Chinese Communist
0: Party. Yeah, with that, I just want to make sure you know that I, I 100% agree with you. We need, uh, we need that in military-industrial complex to build our surplus to strengthen our military. Uh, our military is not given enough money. Uh, I mean, I, we still see a plane, like I still go around bases, and people are complaining about equipment, aircrafts that that can't fly. They can't maintain it. Cause they don't have equipment. They're going to DRMO, which is like our junkyard to put parts back on planes. And this is still happening in our military right now. So I am for You're going to feel good
1: about this. The <laughs> yeah. chief of staff of the air force
0: mm-hmm. on whose watch,
1: a lot of that's been happening mm-hmm. is about to be By fleeted the, up to become the chairman the, of the, the joint chiefs, chiefs. Yes.
0: Yes. Just uh, saying. Yeah. That's a, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. And it, uh, so I'm all for like, we need to, we, I know need you to are. we need to put money there. We need to build that up. Uh, who, uh, who we what? don't
1: want to get into needless wars. We don't but want to get in. If somebody else has started one against us oh, and tends to, to take it to the next step, uh, we have to, which yeah. could be of unprecedented yeah. destructiveness. We've goes, got to make sure we're deterring that.
0: And that goes to that back to the American military strength. When you have the, you have a strong, if you have the strongest military in the world uh, with the most supplied military in the world, the most ready force in the world, and you have the a competent commander in chief, who's willing to defend our nation, you're not going to have this, this threat I- existing. But, exactly. You know, Peace know. through strength. Peace is what called it.
2: Yeah. I read that too. You know, it's crazy, Chad, I know you can speak a lot on this, but um, I've read several studies um, that, that have suggested that our, that our um, military strength is half of what it should be. Um, there's, there's a organization or, or, uh, heritage dot heritage.org and they actually, um, I'll read some studies here just for the viewers. Um, during the cold war, the Navy maintained a fleet approaching 600 ships and kept 100 at sea. Today's Navy has fewer than 300 ships and the cold war fighter pilots averaged over 300 hours of flying each year. And today air force pilots average fewer than 120 hours. So I don't, I don't understand how that's possible with the threats that we see uh, today.
1: That's possible because we've not been budgeting for doing more, which is what we should be doing. And, and again, I, I'm speaking to guys who know a lot more about this than I do. If you have a limited amount of time to train your people and what you're training them in is pronouns, pronouns, And gender sensitivity and drag show, you know, story hours and the like, uh, they're not getting the preparation that they need for war. Focus is wrong, too. Focus is wrong. Focus is wrong. And you talk about demoralizing them. And and especially, Chad, again, one of the things I've admired about you— is your continuing service to our country. Not what you just did in uniform, which was impressive enough, but the fact that you have never stopped continuing to help save our country. This moment is when that is needed more than ever. And sadly, the guys like you, Are being driven out of our military
0: because they don't want to be doing that nonsense. Some of the best guys. They want to be there
1: fighting the fight.
0: Some of the most experienced. You know, when you have a a long-term war like the war on terror, twenty years, uh, what you it's it's horrible. We lost. You know, you lose people, and and but what you walk away from that with is a is a very experienced, strong like so many areas of a of our military is way so much better we're so much more prepared to defend ourselves and you have all these great leaders now with 20 years of combat experience all those guys however getting out they're leaving they're like i can't be i don't trust the or commander being in chief out. or being forced out my you know i had my son got forced out because he wouldn't get the covet
1: my colleague I, tommy waller was yeah, forced out, right yeah know.
0: i was working with him when he was going through that we were talking through it on the phone it's just heartbreaking i mean he had eight a, 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 you know 18 20 year career in special operations uh, my son was brand new, but, 80, but my family at 80, 80 plus years of service at World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan for me and my, my older son. And now our family's legacy ends with that. And, and I, have, I have tons of friends. Uh, I have two Navy SEAL buddies I was just with a few weeks ago in Coronado. And, and both their sons are military age and they multi-generation Navy SEALs. And they're telling their sons who trained their whole lives, by the way, they were lifeguards in Coronado training uh, not to go in. So not only are these guys getting out, but their next generation, which many military families are multi-generation families, are not going in. And yeah, their recruiting got, is
1: the recruiting's down 30%. The bulk of the force is yes. made up
0: of those children family. of uh,
1: military personnel. Yeah. And, 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 and the question that occurs to me, hmm? and I'm sure has occurred to you too, is, so assuming you can get some people to come in, and we're not getting the numbers we need... Period, but who, who, are can get some, who are those people? Who are those people, and what are they about? Right. And and would they be all about, you know, the cross dressing or the transgender stuff and and the woke business? And 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 at the end of the day, it's woke is another of those terms that's misleading. It's Marxism. It's cultural Marxism. Right. And the institution of the United States military is the last through. Uh, the institutions that these cultural Marxists have been marching through, as they say. Okay. And they've reached it. For decades. And they've gotten to they're, it, they and they're it. now in the process of tearing it apart. And I am, frankly, I have to just say, I am really concerned yeah. that if the next commanding general of the entire United States military, I mean, not literally in the line of command, but he's the top military officer, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, is all in on this cultural Marxism. I don't know whether we can recover the military that we need. Yeah. Short of
0: the the hope know, that I have is a an apocalyptic event. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and that goes, when it goes to my last topic, I'll bring up a spiritual warfare before I say yes. that I'll say this, that the hope I have is, is in, is the same hope that we spoke about earlier. We have in Americans, I have in our troops. I get to go speak to our troops all around the world. And, you know, God's opened the door for me to able to. Uh, talk to these these uh, our, our present day war fighters, and they 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 are not subscribing to this. Yes, it maybe there's some, but systemically, the military culture is not subscribed to this and not adapting. Yes, they're pushing back. They don't like it. Uh, they join the military to defend the United States, and people around the world can't defend themselves. That's the same the same reasons I joined the military. I think when you ask who are these people, I still think in a large part most of them are joining for the right reasons and having that desire to serve our country. They're patriots. But I know you would agree. Yeah. They need our help. They do, mm. and we have they, to. They, we have to speak up. We have to fight for
1: they them. They can't do it by themselves. They and, have no voice. You, again, they you no can voice. speak to this better than anybody. Mm. They have no voice. Exactly they right. They're, they're they are, are literally the... unable to speak yeah. about what yeah. matters to them and yeah. and what needs to be done about it.
0: So it I can now because I'm out. But while, while right. I was in, you 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 submit to the authority of leadership in the military. Submit. You can't speak up. Right. So we have to be their voice, yeah,
1: and and right. thank you for doing this platform oh, and program and Mighty Oaks and yeah, all the yeah. other fabulous things that you do on yeah. their behalf as well as on the behalf. Same of the for you
0: and you, what you what you guys do at the, at the Center for Security Policy is incredible. I'm thankful you're, you're writing books and putting information out like this. Uh, I'm excited to read my brand new copy. Good. Uh, b- before I'm we jump off though, feedback. I want to talk to something that's so important to me. We're talking about fighting policy, and we're talking about you know who to vote for and all these things that we don't ultimately have control over. And, and there's another war that we can't see that we're fighting all the time, that's a spiritual war. And, and we we're in, we're, are undoubtedly in a spiritual war. Uh, we always have been since the beginning of creation, but mm-hmm. certainly if there's every time that we're on the front lines in, in the trenches, it's right now. Yep. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that for, for America. Well, I'm so glad you said it because it's where I usually
1: try to leave people because yeah. I, I think it is absolutely vital to recognize whichever of the bad actors you want to point to in this world, and there are lots of them, uh, they have in common a diabolical master they're serving. And they are evil, and they are seeking to destroy good. And I'm not here to say that we're perfect by any means. In fact, my biggest concern... About all of this is whether we have so offended God mm. with the way we've been conducting ourselves that uh, we've lost His grace. Because I feel certain that with His grace, we'll pull through this, okay. Of course. Without it, I'm not so sure.
0: The scriptures say so. So, well, turn that's back right. To him.
1: But we do need to turn back to Him. Yeah. And so, prayer is kind of the, the most important of the, the items that we have to have on that list of things that need to be done. And, um, and repentance and most especially being worthy of his grace once
0: again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you run a, another organization name, name it again, that, save the persecuted Christians, save, save yeah. the persecuted Christians. And uh, I know, you know, of all the things that, uh, in America right now, that that I'm upset about, and uh, and I don't I don't believe right now we are in a free nation. Unfortunately, I hate I hate even saying those words, but I just need to speak the truth. I less and less
1: free all the time.
0: Free free nation. Uh, we are the freest nation in the world. And one thing I get to do every Sunday is either speak at a church or go and worship at a church. And uh and uh, you know I think I think the numbers are that's probably 25 percent of the population of the world. 75 percent of the population of the world don't and Christians are persecuted all over the world. Uh, Christians are even persecuted here in America. Increasingly. And, uh, Increasingly. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that, talk about the organization. Well, again, thank you. Um
1: yeah. this is a pickup team basically. One one of the things that our organization has done from its inception is to try to harness the help of other like minded individuals and groups to do things that individual organizations generally can't, even yeah. well funded ones. And we're certainly not that. But we have Uh, over the past, I think it's been four years now, maybe a little more, um, had an amazing group come together. We call it the Save the Persecuted Christians Coalition. Uh, Many of them are groups that are, uh, you know, in the space already, that are working to see what they can do to relieve the suffering of Christians. And, And here's an interesting fact. According to Open Doors USA, which has done an annual calculation of the numbers of christians that are heavily persecuted not just having you know a hard time or a bad day or what have you but you know being tortured being yeah. raped being crucified in many cases murdered what have you 360 million christians now fall in that category around the world that's larger than the population of the united states of america every man woman and child in this country. And you wouldn't know what's even happening to read most papers or news outlets. And so one of the things we're trying to do with this organization, which is different from, complementary for sure, to the work that our coalition partners are engaged in in feeding and housing and clothing and getting food and stuff to these people where you can, we're trying to hold the persecutors accountable and create real penalties for doing what. Today,
0: there's really no downside. To yeah, because I mean, as right, you get every everybody with a, 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 a seems like everybody with a voice in America speaks up for the, a new oppressed group every day. Uh, but when you got not this uh, group, when you got yeah. a three hundred and sixty million uh, group person group that is truly being oppressed to the point of being murdered and, mm-hmm. and lit on fire. And, and like you say, cru- like modern day crucified, crucified. Yeah. uh, like, but no one will even speak up. about But,
1: it. but here's a question to you. You're in a different church every, every weekend. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to ask the pastor.
0: Oh my gosh. Are you, they you using this <laughs> to, <laughs> to talk about yeah. this issue? Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to pull, you're going to pull yeah. my string because this is my, all this stuff going to America right now to me like, we could shout at the left and, and liberals and all that stuff, but I believe that most of the things we're dealing with in America right now, we're dealing with because of the cowardness of pastors uh, not using their pulpit to I speak of um, I don't I mean,
1: disagree. I don't disagree. But speak. here's the interesting thing. They have the guts, at least in mm-hmm. these cases, to have you mm-hmm. come in and
0: minister. Yeah. That's a step. It is.
1: It's not the going that full distance, needless <laughs> to say, but it's an opening. Can. The and, biggest one for me is the kids. I think that's very
0: encouraging. If, if pastors can't speak up for kids, if a pastor can't get on a pulpit and say, what is happening right now to our children mm. in the libraries, in the schools, uh, if they don't have the courage to show that new movie Sound of, Freedom, Sound of Freedom because they worried about uh, the political uh, pushback on that, then they need to find another occupation. Amen. Uh, that's amen but again i i think it's a god
1: thing yeah. that you're able and yeah. willing and, and thankful given the opportunity to encourage them to yeah. rise to this challenge and, and, so and i do really i have conver-
0: i have a lot of conversations with them I, I sound like i'm being harsh right now but but it, it's something that needs to be said and, uh, and yeah. i and t- i and i tell them and uh, i've had these conversations and, and as a pastor and uh there's a pastor here steve pastor steve riggle uh here, here in the woodlands texas and he's like that's, that's what his pulpit's there for. He, he uses it to speak on current event issues. And there's a pastor. And if you know Alan Jackson and uh, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, his church is huge, like 20-some thousand members. Wow. And uh, his church, but the 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 reason I bring him up is because his church was maybe like 15,000 before all this stuff started. And, uh, and other pastors were like, whoa, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose members. <laughs> he went the opposite way. And he started calling this stuff out and his church has exploded. Yeah. Uh, and so- I think that what pastors fear of losing people, yeah, you're going to lose people because the gospel is offensive and you're going to lose people, but it's also intoxicating. The gospel is intoxicating. People are going to come to, I think Charles Spurgeon said, you know, when people were asking how, how do you uh, like get these crowds he would get? He said, I let the gospel light my soul on fire and people come to watch me burn. Like he was just like so on fire for speaking God's truth that people just had to hear it. Mm -hmm. Uh,
2: uh, and uh, and they want some of it. That's
0: what you see at Pastor Allen. I, I love that guy. As a matter of fact, I want to get him,
2: get him over here on the show. I think people, <laughs> e- even our pastors, what we're talking about is they fear the outcome too much. And like people yeah. like you, Chad, and, and this this concept that um, obedience doesn't determine the outcome. The Lord calls us to walk in obedience no matter what we think or perceive the outcome is going to be. It doesn't matter, yeah. It doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. You, just, you, you, you be obedient to what God called you to do. Say what... The truth that God called you to speak, and and the results that matter. But I think most of the time we put too much cloud on this. I just came from a lunch with with uh, one of my publishers for a book I have coming out, and she was talking about, and, and this wasn't her position, but one of the uh, the board of directors at this publishing house. I won't, I won't say the name of it, uh, but they they uh, because I want to keep my book too busy. <laughs> but but they they, uh, they had got a letter from a reader that their her fourteen year old son read a book and it had the word. Hell in it. And she was so offended. And it was a military, it was a Christian military book. And in the same paragraph was talking about, you know, shooting a guy in the head and his head exploding in pink mist. She didn't Mm. care about that. Uh, The letter of 14, year old read that, but the fact that it had the word hell in it. And they they were sort of changing their whole strategy on books because this one letter, I'm like, what about the other 20,000 people that read that book that you didn't get a letter from? I think so many times we get one complainer and we respond to it. That's in business. That's in like. Shotgun effect. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Amen. Listen to what they had. Yeah. You know, I'll i listen to the that nineteen thousand people were silent. Yeah. it didn't say anything.
1: But you know what also it requires is leadership.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And whether it's pastors or whether it's you or whether it's
1: us or others, it it, it the other the other thing I just try to leave people with, which is a, I think a hopeful sign, is um Frequently, I'm sure you get this all the time too. Frequently, people will respond by saying, "Oh, I mean, Chinese government, this this is so big. This is a huge problem. What what, what can I do?" Mm. What, you know, they, they seem completely overwhelmed and incapacitated. Sure, by the simple enormity of the challenge, and I get that. Believe me, if if, if you study it closely, <laughs> the enormity of it. I yeah. said the the Borg business. But the thing is, as God teaches us, Jesus, you know, a remnant is what's required here. Yeah. And history is made, you have lived this, my friend. History is made by small numbers of determined people. Yeah. Usually they're nasty people, and they often have evil as their purpose. But it, in extraordinary moments, like, the founding of this country. Yeah. It was a small number of people who were extraordinary human beings and saw something for this country that I think they genuinely knew was providentially inspired. And if we approach even these enormous problems with a confidence in God's grace and a worthiness of it, and we're willing to just do what we can do as individuals or as small groups, as remnants, whatever we will make a difference. And it goes back to what I said about Reagan. I I think that that epical change in direction started with a tiny group of people who had a vision of what to do and helped him sell it to a large number of people. Yes. And then that leadership thing kicked in big time.
0: Yeah. Man, I'm really inspired. You actually gave me some hope today. So good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, A lot
1: of depressing stuff that
0: fed into it. I wanted to leave you pumped. (laughs) Uh. Where can people learn more about the Center for Security Policy? Uh, we have a couple of
1: resources, if I can tick them off. Yeah, and a nonprofit as well, yeah.
0: yeah, uh, The Center for
1: Security Policy's website, which is, you know, sort of a one-stop shopping for lots of national security-related topics and others that are more broadly, you know, important to the survival of the country, is securefreedom.org. Mm. One of those groups that I mentioned that we've put together is uh, Save the Persecuted Christians, and that's Save the Persecuted Another is another one that I mentioned that, that was actually modeled after the original Committee on the Present Danger. We call it the Committee on the Present Danger China. And its website is presentdangerchina.org. And you can find there now, I think it's actually up to something like 106 of these webinars just an unbelievable sort of graduate level program on unrestricted warfare by the Chinese Communist Party and
0: who are their friends. So people really want to understand what we talked about. They, they get in there it's and watch there. these and learn.
1: The distilled essence of mm-hmm. the first 70 or so is in that book. And I think that's probably more than most people can, <laughs> can take aboard. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a lot more where that came from. And then finally, I, I guess I would just offer, um, I do a daily television program. On Real America's Voice and a radio show counterpart that's on the American Family Radio Network, uh, and a daily commentary weekdays um, that's on I think 900 stations or something around the country. All of that can be found at securingamerica.tv. and then I'm at Frank Gaffney on various social media platforms. And get your copy of the indictment. TheIndictmentBook.com is one place, or Amazon, or Barnes and Noble, or wherever books are sold, as they say. In the in the charity. Yeah. I mentioned Save the Persecuted Christians uh, is a charity. All of them are charities, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, that's a particularly worthy one, and we'd love your help, especially in spreading the word about the need to uh, really step up and, as I say, hold accountable the persecutors,
0: not let them
1: think that they can do that to people, people like us. Yeah.
0: Every day, more than 22 veterans take their lives, That's a devastating reality that we can no longer ignore. But what if I told you that number actually is much higher? According to a recent study, the actual number of veteran suicides could be double the federal estimates. That means 44 veterans could be lost to suicide every single day. Whether the number is 22, 44, or one, one is too many. But there's hope. Mighty Oaks Foundation provides a lifeline for veterans, first responders, and active duty communities struggling with PTSD, depression, and thoughts of suicide. Our non-clinical faith-based peer-to-peer programs focus on spiritual resiliency, providing our military and first responder communities to overcome their hardships of service and find a new life purpose. We know that the road to recovery isn't an easy one, but with the support of Mighty Oaks, our warriors can find the hope and healing they need to move forward. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. That's MightyOaksPrograms.org and learn how you can support our mission to end the epidemic of suicide in our military and first responders communities. Together, we can make a difference. All right, so back in the safe house and uh, this is just where- you, you don't think YouTube will drop us on the. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, no, maybe. <laughs> they
0: might. They'll,
2: they'll pull- they might pull that episode off, but- <laughs>
0: These guys do. A they, good they, job read,
2: they read my Google profile. <laughs> <laughs> they see Frank Gaffney. It's off. They're well, taking it off. They,
0: they may take a couple of things out of there and put it in a safe house. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. My, uh, I know Dinesh D'Souza's uh, episode. They were, they were yeah, like, "Yeah, we're going to just put that whole one in the safe house," <laughs> which everybody sees it anyway. So, yeah. Well,
2: good. <laughs> yeah,
0: because Dinesh was talking about the election, integrity. election integrity, which
2: uh, you know they're not going to let that go up. Um, yeah, we talked about two thousand so mules on there, and yeah,
0: yeah. So we're in a Such safe house, so we're safe here to say whatever. whatever. Two thousand mules in the election. It, it was really. If you, you, I'm sure you've seen two thousand mm-hmm. mules. It was just. I thought he did a really good job mm-hmm. of outlining it. And then one, one of the things that in the beginning I was like, really, the Dominion machines. I was like, got to be it. It's got to be it. And he's like, I, I don't think the machines was that bad. I think it was smokescreen to pull everybody uh, to get everybody to look like they were crazy because mm-hmm. there was real, no evidence there, but the, the master plan was in the ballots.
1: Yeah. I don't think that's true.
0: Yeah. I don't know. No. I don't, I, yeah. well, I, I don't, I can't
1: <laughs> yeah. profess to be a senior se- serious expert on this, but I, I think they, they used every instrument they could.
0: I would agree with and that. <laughs> the,
1: the dominion machines, I think probably were a One factor. Those instruments. Yeah. A factor for sure. Yeah. But how, how, when you had, you know, Whatever it was hundreds of millions of ballots, yeah, disseminated all over the country. Yeah. Um, y- you could have a a small increment in the Dominion machines being more yeah. than offset by just
0: sheer numbers of illegally cast ballots. Yeah, and uh, and I think that was going on. What, what do you think? Uh, you, how confident are you in the 2024 election with a lot of those problems being solved or unsolved unresolved? I am not
1: confident that they're being
0: solved. Yeah my my sense of it again, I'm not really
1: conversant in what's happening on the ground everywhere, but uh my sense of it is that um mostly we're in the hands in these state legislatures of people who are good with it. They seem to have you know been able to work the system with the yeah. rigging, and uh they're not interested in tearing it up, let alone exposing you know maybe their own shenanigans in the past. So I, I sense that a lot of the problems that uh, assured a fraudulent outcome in 2020 are still in place and will be operationalized
0: again. Do you, you think 2024 election has no, no real chance? Uh... Well, look, I, I'm very much prayerful yeah. that we'll use the
1: opportunity in the meantime to try to do something about those things, I'm just saying I don't know that we have so far. Yeah, and uh, and I will also say I uh, my other peripheral hope is that uh, the repudiation of the people who have brought us to this terrible pass mm-hmm. since 2020 uh, is going to be so enormous that it'll be too big to steal. That's, that's my hope
0: that's that's. I think it's the only that's hope my, we've got yeah. <laughs> that's my hope I, I think it, I think it's the election system so compromised I think the same things as 2020 is is in 2024 but I think that's gonna be such an enormous swing or lack of turnout on the on the left side that mm. that they would have to cheat so big and I don't think they would be prepared for it kind of like Hillary wasn't prepared for it because mm. they they were trying to cheat there but, right and but uh, they thought they could do small ball cheating yeah
1: mm. Well, I, from your lips to God's ears, Chad, um, yeah. I have a, uh, a worst case scenario, which gets the left very excited. Let's hear it. Michelle Obama. Michael or Michelle? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> We're in a safe house. Some, <laughs> oh, man. some, some, some people do. Some, yeah. some people <laughs> some I know people do. Well, do. Joan Rivers got killed by going there. Mm-hmm. So. That's true. I carry, but, I carry a gun, by the way. Mm-hmm. Look. <laughs> <laughs> me too so the,
1: the but, but the main thing is that um, uh, I, I have the feeling yeah. that's the whole card that they're going to pull. I, I've,
0: I've, I've actually feared that at the last minute we're going to see a draft. we're going to let, gonna let yeah, Biden slip out and Michelle Obama steps in and she has a star of power, I mean, in uh, fourth term, fourth term, fourth Obama Obama Biden term. Yeah, or Obama term Obama term, yeah because <laughs> yeah, he, he is. In my opinion, he is a president right now. Mm, me too. Yeah. Uh, and and she she would win and, uh, if she runs. him, I, I think she wins. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, un- unfortunately. And uh, and well, we're, and we're,
1: that's the, uh, it's more than unfortunate. It it is the end of the country. Yeah. I don't. And I don't. think, I don't, I think it's un- it's it's irrecoverable at that point. I fear. So again,
0: subject to prayer. Yeah. You know. Let's just hope she doesn't run. Yeah. Uh, in, in fear of her sexual identity being. Maybe that's why they're making this more more uh, acceptable so they can come out. Transgender? Yeah. Maybe. That's, uh, that's my conspiracy. So um, I want to ask you uh, about deep, the deep state. Everybody throws the term around deep state. What does it, what does it actually mean? Uh, it, it's a very common term, but I don't think a lot of people understand what it actually means, and, and you spent most of your adult life in D.C.? I have.
1: Um, I tried to stay out of the swamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, before it became completely toxic uh, to me, but um, I'd, I've been around it a long time, that's for sure. Look, I th- I think there's an easy way to get your head around how this works. And, you know, I'd, I worked in the Pentagon a long, long time ago, and some of the finest people that I've ever worked with were both military people, of course, but also civilian, you know, people in the bureaucracy of the Pentagon at the time. They, they were patriots, they were ecstatic about Reagan's election uh, and that's the window I was serving in and uh, and you know I was a young pup at the time and they were enormously supportive of the work we were trying to do so I, I don't think there's something endemic to people who are government employees being hostile to the country but in the second term of the three terms of the Biden, the Obama-Biden presidency, a concerted effort was made, as I'm sure you know, to take political operatives and appointees and turn them into permanent civilian bureaucrats, senior executive service level people. They populated every agency of the government by the thousands. Yes. And they, the military. Well, yes, I, I think the but the military had its own problem, which was right. the promotion of yeah you know their their generals. There somebody told me yesterday. I think it was 147 or something. Oh, yeah. handpicked military personnel had been yeah. uh, senior flag and general officers had been purged and handpicked, hand-picked. Obama, Obama loyalists, right? <laughs> um, of which I think CQ Brown was one. Yeah, um, but the the thing was that those people were appointed Mm. with the express purpose in mind of sabotaging the Trump presidency and preventing it from walking back to the extent they could, the gains, the fundamental transformation that Barack Obama had promised, the change, the change, hope and the change. Right. And, uh, and they did, yeah, and that's the deep state. That's yeah. the administrative state. It. That's the uh, entity that um, ground him to a pulp.
0: So I have I have a question. And prepared the way for the return. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot of people like, man, he, you know, Trump promised so many things, and he came in office, and and he, and he didn't do anything. It's like, and you had, you had Paul Ryan as the Speaker of the House, who, who is no friend of Trump and no friend of America, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and, uh, and then, you know, so that was two years of, of obstruction there. And then, you know, the next two years was all obstruction, and then he had all these deep state people that were Obama appointees, just thou, like you said, thousands across the systemically across the infrastructure of the United States government. I mean, Trump was as a, I don't know how he could. could I'm surprised he got done what he could, what he actually did. Well, and I think truth be told, he did get a lot done. Yeah, so did he, he get he did. everything? No. No. Did he get as much done as yeah. he should have mm-hmm. uh, and
1: would have? I think, but for this kind of
0: sabotage, no. And but, he had so many traitors amongst his midst too. People he trusted that he probably shouldn't have trusted that he thought were not part of that deep state. And I mean, they were political appointees of his. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like bar bar <laughs> he like hired a, them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that just yeah.
1: That's uh, you know. There's a funny uh, funny uh, ha ha. But uh, interesting story that was told to me by. Uh, former Congressman Pete Hoekstra, who's an old friend of mine. He was uh, a Trump surrogate in the 2016 uh, presidential race. And uh, I think it was March of 2017, uh, Trump wanted to thank him and Jay Sekulow, who has gone on to become one of his attorneys, but at the time he was a surrogate for Trump as well. So they convened in the Oval Office early in the presidency, and after the opening pleasantries, Pete told me that uh, the president said, so, how am I doing? And Pete said, he responded, well, considering your entire administration is staffed with Democratic holdovers, you're doing okay. (laughs) And Trump was apparently according to Pete, so shocked by that that he wept around and he looked at the other guy in the room who was Reince Priebus, his chief of staff at the time. Right. Former chairman of the Republican Party and a long time, you know, swamp dweller.
0: Yeah. Uniparty.
1: Uniparty. And Reince's response was, according to Pete Hoekstra, who Mm
0: -hmm. was
1: there, was, quote, there are one or two of them left, Mr. President, but they'll all be gone by Friday, unquote. I don't think that was the first lie that Reince Priebus told the president, Mm, or the last. And more to the point, uh, when Trump got into the White House, he was completely unprepared for doing what he had to do, which was to put 4,000 or so of his own people in those political appointment positions. So out of sheer desperation, they did what they knew they could do, which is to turn to Reince Priebus with his long Rolodex of former Bush appointees or, you know, for that matter, uniparty people. I was going to say uniparty people. And pulled them in, staffed the thing up, and lo and behold... They had an administration, but it wasn't a Trump administration no. in
0: important respects until no. much later. Yeah. We, uh, we're looking at these the stuff with the FBI director right now, and, and I'm, I'm sitting here, and I'm just one of the things I'm just so perplexed about is how is and, and why, and I don't understand that. I, I feel like I understand a lot of things, but there's some things in the government I just don't understand structurally. How and why are our federal law enforcement Uh, institution leaders in our intelligence institution leaders appointed by the president of the United States. And is that not a conflict of interest? I mean, when you have the FBI director appointed by the president of the United States, uh, why is that?
1: Well, I think it's to have um, the power of the executive Mm. delegated by the executive, by the chief executive, that is the president under Article 2 has mm-hmm. the authority to you know be the chief executive of the United States. And I don't know that there's any good way to do this. Um, you know all of the other alternatives have downsides as well. but as, the, the, the as problem coming
0: up from the ranks,
1: the problem like, it seems to me based yeah. on having watched a lot of this over the years is um, do you find a person of integrity? who isn't going to bend to the political wind of the moment, but is also not going to be susceptible to corruption. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if the president has the good judgment to entrust a position as powerful as the FBI director Mm -hmm. or the Central Intelligence Agency director or now the director of national intelligence to such an
0: individual, I think you're going to be fine.
1: If if they don't...
0: uh, Uh, you're you're going to be hosed if you elect a, if you elect the president without integrity, then it's going to appoint people without integrity. There's the problem. Too. There's the problem. Yeah. yeah, for sure.
1: And and you know uh, that the thing that I hope that the Congress of the United States is actually going to get its hands around mm-hmm. is the sort of extreme to which this has been taken under. Um, well, under to some extent those yeah. democratic holdovers and, and anti Trump or never Trump Trump employees. <laughs> right. But most especially during the Biden years, is the weaponization of these yeah. powerful,
0: powerful instruments, the Department well, this, of
1: Justice, against the American people.
0: This is why, you know, I have a a fundamental problem with that with that those positions being appointed because now if you have a a, a president could actually use these and, and they're going to do what the president most time they're going to do what the president says because he's appointed and their job depends on it. That's it's to me. That's why I feel like it's such a calm,
1: not James Comey.
0: Right. Well, Oh, oh not, you're right. You're right. That's not, a good, ex- it's James the opposite Comey. example. I like, but, but it's a, and, it's the right example. And,
1: and yeah. Bill Barr, not so much. Yeah. You know, yeah. And you make a point. Look again, it comes back down to the the character of yeah. the person as well as yeah. uh, who appoints them. But, I, you know, at the end of the day, the genius of the founders was don't trust anybody. (laughs) Have checks and balances to assure that if, as is generally the case, people, when they get power, will abuse it, can be offset, can be checked in the abuse. And uh, I think we've just seen the system breaking down in part because the Congress, going back to your question about the administrative state, the Congress of the United States, out of, I would say, mostly laziness over decades, has relegated or abdicated, you might say, to these faceless bureaucrats, these completely unaccountable administrative state types essentially lawmaking authority yeah. in their regulatory functions. You know, they'll say this should be the policy of uh, the, the government and, and uh, we'll let the FDA figure out how to implement that direction, you know. Yeah. Well, especially if the FDA, as an example, is regulatorily captured, as they say, by the industry that they're supposed to be, you know, overseeing and controlling and so your host, yeah, and that's where we've been. Certainly, look at the whole COVID exercise.
0: Last question. Uh, I'd say it's for fun, but it's not funny at all. Uh, it's 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 comical that the result, but it's not funny. Is is the cocaine in the White House? I, I've been I've been in the White House five or six times. I've been in the Pentagon dozens of times. Um, how many? You've been in the White House hundreds of times. No, but dozens. <laughs> dozens of times in yeah. the Pentagon. Uh,
1: I lived yeah. there for four and
0: a half years. Yeah. So, so I mean these are the most secure places in, in in the world. Is it possible to for the Secret Service to be so... I mean, to me, it's either they're covering something up or they're incompetent. I don't know which one's worse. Is it possible for the Secret Service not to be able to know who brought that bag of cocaine?
1: Yeah, I have no way of knowing, but, you know, Dan Bongino is a friend of mine. Yeah. And he's an old Secret Service guy, mm-hmm. personal detail. Yeah. And he says, you know, the guys in... The Uniform Service and, and uh, the non-uniform Secret Service are furious Yeah. at what's been done here. I've been in a they're, West Wing, like absolutely the West Wing found. They know who did it, and yeah. they are not going to tell who did it for political reasons, period. Yeah. I, I trust Dan implicitly, yeah. and I'm sure that if he says that's the case, I could take it to the bank.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, been, right I, I've been in that part of the West Wing and it's like covered in cameras. And I mean, and like you, you're doing a log, you know, there's just no way. I, I mean, I would they're not that incompetent. What if it was anthrax? I mean, they evacuated the White House, the West Wing, because they thought it was a white powder substance. If it was anthrax and a bad actor went in there to leave anthrax in the White House, you mean to say it? Tell me that. They wouldn't this, have they had, they had a camera on able, it? Yeah, they wouldn't have been able to figure it out, right? <laughs> or, so. or
1: plastic bags. You know, again, I'm, I'm not a forensic guy by any means but uh as i understand it dan says look you know that's a synthetic material it's mm. easy to
0: grab blatant prints or dna of, course, off of yeah. it." and mm. what do you mean you can't, net, can't tell you're not walking around uh, the, the west wing of the white house with rubber gloves on right so yeah and then uh yeah i think everybody knows without even saying who's who's a uh, little baggy it was but uh
1: well God, look in fairness it could have been other people Sure, on the White House staff, and besides, it could have yeah. the Hunter could have Biden, <laughs> prime suspect. But to to say that they just can't figure this out, yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's you know it's it's kind of like the they just couldn't figure out whether the COVID, you know, virus came out of the Wuhan Institute <laughs> of Virology or not. Yeah, that was rubbish. Yeah. Of course they've got to figure it out and they did figure it out. Yeah. And we've learned recently that, you know, they have, and they've all now sort of copped to it. But, you know, integrity yeah. is in short supply yeah. in Washington, I'm sorry to say, and the American people get that. And, and you know where it's most pronounced, I fear, and where it's having a, a just cancerous effect is in the perception that there are two standards of justice.
0: It, it, if that really if is, it is yeah. not
1: equal justice under law, the whole sort of compact between the citizenry and yeah. the government
0: is shattered. Yeah, and I think uh, somewhere along the line we forgot that these elected officials are public servants. Yeah, so uh, uh, it.
1: it's I would argue it's part of the cultural Marxism that's about taking us down. Is if you can get at that sort of core Separate. idea, uh, everything else starts fraying pretty badly. We're going well, to have to fight them on the beaches, fight them in the streets, fight <laughs> them in the you know, the uh, alleyways. It, it's, uh, it's the challenge of our time, and I, I'm honored to be a comrade in arms with you in our present fight. So thank you for having me. Thank
0: you. Well, guys, if you, if you listen all of to these this. Spaces. Oh, yeah, thank you. If you listen to this and you didn't listen to the episode, go back and listen to the episode, but also go and get your copy of The Indictment with Frank Gaffney, uh, anywhere books are sold. Thanks for thanks for being here man thank you my privilege yeah.